Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Chris indoors. Uh, it's a perfect day. There's no excuse for it. Um, it's Sunday morning and I'm just waiting for the sun to get high because I'm going to do a great ocean swim and I'm just sort of biding my time for it. But it gives me the opportunity this morning to talk about something that um, I think it's really important to hear. So I was talking to Jess yesterday and we were talking about people we've dated and events of our life and it just it came really clear to me that uh, you probably all know my life has not been a bed of roses and in some ways that gives me permission to talk about things that other people <coughs> may not have enough experience about or wherewithal to talk about in a loving way. And today I want to talk about love pockets. So good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. We're talking today about three different situations that I've experienced in my life that add up to one uh, conclusion or one point, I suppose you could say. The first one I want to take you to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And um, I'm there as a, a poet. It was in the late 80s and uh, I'd gone through a fairly severe divorce. I'd, I'd uh, climbed mountains in the Himalayas and I ended up through some strange circumstances with, in New York City with uh, some really beautiful friends, drummers and artists and poets living up in the Upper West Side. Um, a spectacular period of my life um, and I earned my living by writing poetry and sharing that poetry in little books um, in uh, poetry shops and <clears throat> as part of this I don't know window uh, of life I think I just I built a business um, after my um, divorce in the mid 80s um, it was a consulting form, firm, Bourne Griffiths, Barraclough Walker. Uh, we drew names out of a hat to see who went first, who went last. And we built this business um, uh, to go into consult to world competitive manufacturing. And um, we did a massive number of good projects. We, um, Bourne Griffiths were a second tier accounting firm, uh, Kelvin Boyd, uh, merged with them and Kelvin uh, introduced me to many of his great clients and uh, um, uh, John Barraclough was a mate uh, one year ahead of me in the AGSM doing an MBA and we started this consulting firm. Our primary range of consultants were the lecturers at the AGS at the Australian Graduate School of Management so I was able um, through this to employ people outside of their university confines and anyway we built this consulting firm and uh, it went really well we got uh, massive uh, reception we were good at what we did most of it was uh, funded 50% uh, uh, funded by the federal government through a national industries extension service and NICE and uh, so people got a good tax break on the, the investment and we'd go in, do a full consulting review, do an audit, run a retreat uh, in the most magnificent places in the country 
and bring to that retreat 30 or 40 people from the firm, from the factory floor all the way through to the CEO and owner and uh, re, 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 redesign the whole business from where to go to make it world competitive. And it was a great way to do, I would say, uh, consulting, uh, an expensive consulting process <coughs> in a very short period of time. And we, we achieved a lot of great goals. Anyway, I decided to exit that business. I didn't uh, see eye to eye with uh, the direction the business was traveling. And so I exited a, a very healthy, very productive, and, and I think it still runs in some shape or another under the auspices of John. Long and the short of it, I had some time up my sleeve and I decided to go to New York. And while I was in New York, I met Kaya uh, and her husband, uh, I think his name is David, an African-American man who played magnificent drums uh, and was a, a beautiful artist. Through them, I ended up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, making connections with a lady called Sylvia Steibel. Sylvia is what is uh, very famous in America because she paints angels and she paints them in a trance and uh, her angel paintings. And uh, so I, I spent time out on her ranch, um, a very wealthy person, uh, very connected. Um, I met a lot of the world's most famous actors through her. Um, and uh, I spent a lot of time, uh, in fact, I stayed at her ranch uh, and I slept in her studio, which was a temple. And this temple was built from very ancient wood uh, that she'd got from Mexico, um, from old uh, churches and what have you. And that's where uh, Sylvia painted these magnificent angel paintings. Anyway, the long and the short of it is Santa Fe, New Mexico, for me, was paradise. Uh, it was filled predominantly in the shopping um, areas with Native American art. I loved Native American art. I loved everything about Native American culture. Um, and through this obsession I had with Native American art, I met, let's call her Eve. And Eve was a tall, slender, model-esque woman with long, black, flowing hair who owned one of these art galleries. And I fell absolutely madly, and I mean obsessively madly in love with Eve. She too fell in love with me. We never consummated that love. We just spent hours and hours staring at each other's face, uh, eating together, uh, walking together. Uh, eventually Eve's partner in the business who I suspect was her partner in life, took me on a vision quest out in the woods and, um, or in the desert as it is in Santa Fe, and opened his briefcase with, a, with an eagle claw, the bone of something, a skull of a something else, and a, and a revolver. And we did this massive vision quest out, out in the woods. I think, in the long and the short of it, he was basically telling me to fuck off, but I'm not sure about that. My love for Eve still exists. Now, is that wrong? Well, let me say, 
At some point, I was in a relationship with um, a person who was insecure about my past. And so the stories of Eve were shut down, put away, put in a vault, hidden in a closet, uh, diminished as being trivial. But Eve exists in a love pocket in my heart, and I love her. I can honestly say that. I love her intensely. She's just in a love pocket. Now, that relationship never got legs because of my cultural ignorance. Because I met Eve as a woman and a businesswoman and an artist. But I never met her as a person who had wounds from the history of America. I'm white. She's not. Um, she's so accepting of who I am that she can embrace the concept of um, embracing me as a human being. But that's as far as Eve could go, I'm pretty sure. And I was an Aussie who had not even an understanding at that time of the cultural void between Aboriginal people and myself. I'd grown up with Aboriginal people in Mildura and I didn't see any void between us. But of course, as time goes on, I've learned a lot about how wicked and how cruel our, our forefathers were to the Aboriginal people. And I can't apologize for it, but I can recognize and accept that when I step forward into Eve's world and say, hey, here's me, how about we make a life together? She's going to say, probably not gonna happen. And, and understandably so. Eve exists. And I'm with a person now who I can sit down and talk to about Eve because Eve it brings something to the table in our, in our relationship and Eve is very important to me. That's now 1988. <laughs> so you just do the math and work out how long that image, that love has existed in my heart. The next one I want to talk about is uh, let's call her, let's call her Florentine. <laughs> and I went skiing at one stage uh, in, I'd never skied before in Australia. I went skiing in a place called Obertown in Austria. I flew to Germany, met a friend in uh, uh and, and then drove to Obertown and it was off season. So the place was frozen solid and I learned to ski there. And during that time, I drank a lot of uh, Glühwein and got myself into a lot of mischief as a single Australian guy uh, learning to ski in Obertown. And I met a woman and we drank too much. We went to bed together and in the process of undressing, I noticed something very, very weird. And that is that she had a body of a man. And she had muscles bigger than mine and more defined muscles than mine. And she had abs, but she had no breasts as such. She, she, she had the body of a man. And yet, uh, obviously, she had a vagina. And we did uh, have a night together in bed, but in the morning, I couldn't cope 
and and so I ran away from her. Um, before we took our clothes off and before we had sex, I was just in awe of what a magnificent human being she was. She's really attractive. And once this gender issue flared up for me, <clears throat> I was too ignorant to be able to get past my own judgments and get past my own phobias about Florentine. Now, I think it was a man with a vagina. I, I, I confess that that's happened in my life, <laughs> but, but it's not the story. The story, the story is that my own judgments and my own preconceived perceptions prevented me even admitting this story uh, <laughs> since then. And but I realized that I was, you know, uh, gender blocked. I was uh, in some ways um, culturally um, brought up in a very classical, uh, naive way to not understand this world. And although I loved the, the person and had beautiful intimacy with them, I couldn't cope with the confrontation of this uh, confusion. Florentine still exists in my heart. She has a love pocket and I'm really, really glad she does. She's really important to me. These stories are not always the easiest things to tell. I want to go back now to even before um, before these both stories <clears throat> to an event that changed my life completely. After graduating from my first university degree with a degree in uh, mechanical engineering, I was an environmental engineer. And the company I eventually got a job with sent me to uh, America for six months to learn their product. I was married. Uh, I st and we owned a home and uh, this was an opportunity of a lifetime. They said it was three months, but it ended up being longer. So I went to Greenville, Tennessee. Now, if you go back in the 80s, Greenville, Tennessee, well, this is probably even before that, but Greenville, Tennessee was seriously Booneyville. It was where Daniel Boone spent most of his life. And the hills around Greenville, Tennessee, uh, were hillbilly country, inbred, uh, trucks with guns on the back. Uh, police did not go into hillbilly country, into the boonies. And um, so I worked in this organization and I went through various ramifications of being a young Australian guy who rode in uh, 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 racing boats and was incredibly committed to fitness and not knowing anything better than I'm married and uh, everything else is just about this job. The seduction processes and the adults that I met and the sexual innuendo that went on with all that, I had no idea about until one night when a couple of the, the guy I worked with, his wife, and the receptionist, Rose, Rose Rubley, and I went to a barn dance. Now, this barn dance was up a dirt road, and I have no memory 
of how long it took us to get there, but it was seriously, a one, and the guy had a four-wheel drive, and we went up this really, really uh, dark uh, country road. It was 11 at night, and we got to a barn, and seriously, a barn dance is in a barn, way up in the hills. And there was, would you believe, an Australian band playing banjos and, and what have you, and people dancing the woo-ha, you know, woo-ha. And so we, the four of us, uh, joined the woo-ha dance and drank moonshine whiskey out of flagons, out of uh, the, 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 the porcelain flagon with a, with a ring on the, t with a place where you put your finger and you, you put the flagon over your shoulder and drink straight from the neck of the bottle of the cask thing. And we drank moonshine which, as you can imagine, sent us into a state of rather um, inebriated. We drove home, goodness knows how, but on the way we stopped at a river and dunked ourselves at midnight or well into the early hours of the morning in the river. I went down and, and I think the couple who took me there wanted to have a threesy but I was not in any state to do threesies with anybody's, and I ended up going back to Rose Rubley's place. Uh, Rose and I were mates. Uh, I'd been there three months already. We we knew each other really well. We'd you know gone to the movies together. She was single. Um, I had no interest in Rose, but we went to bed together, and we had a thirty-second sexual encounter. Now. Rose remains in my heart. I love Rose and I wouldn't have gone where I went with her if I didn't love her. And I hold her in my heart as with a great state of gratitude. However, for that 30 seconds, <clears throat> it broke my marriage vow. And I then from that day had a secret that I couldn't share with my partner, my wife. And when I got back to Australia uh, from this trip, my wife, Judy, said to me, did you, while you were away? And I go, nope. She goes, I think you did. And she'd wake up at night having dreams and nightmares about the fact that I'd crossed the line while I'd been away. The interesting thing is once you tell one lie about what transpires in your heart and where you break the line, the second one doesn't hurt at all. And so it really opened up a rift between uh, Judy and I right from the get-go in our marriage. And I own that. I take responsibility for it. It's interesting that because of jealousies and because of insecurities and because I couldn't admit that I made a mistake and because of all this, because Judy was paranoid about that sort of stuff happening, I was... Uh, not a victim, but I played into it. And if I had have admitted uh, what I did, it probably would have been forgivable, even if I couldn't forgive it for myself. So Rose remains a love pocket in my heart, as do many people that I don't consider to be people I've lo uh, loved or lived with or married or been in relationship with, but have had a momentary connection to. And these love pockets add up to be me. The amount of love that I can have for 
a person, a partner, is not based on how good they are. It's not based on how wonderful that individual is. It's how much love do I have in me to share with anybody. And the answer to that is, if I add up all the love pockets and I own them all and I'm not ashamed of them and I'm not with someone who's insecure about me having love pockets for other people in my heart, then they will get the full uh, diversity and the full weight of the incredible history that these love pockets have created. Not all of the stories are wonderful. Um, there are many more to tell. Uh, it's, it's a subject that I, I really think is, is so underspoken about because we're, we live in a state of shame or we live with insecure people or we put them in a vault and forget to open the vault one day when we're with somebody and out of compassion or kindness or whatever it is for their insecurity, we don't speak about these stories or because we're in cultures that don't understand the stories. Uh, and who would judge us for telling them. We put the stories in a vault and almost get accidental shame about who we are and who, where we've been and how we've become who we are. But those love pockets in your heart, all the exes and the people that you've met and as you heard from this story, not all of them you have to have even an intimate time with. You can have just met somebody, had a an experience of feeling connected to that person and that person builds you and you become the culmination of all this experiences of love that becomes the amount of love you have to share with those that you live with and in your workplace and this becomes leadership. This is Chris. Have a beautiful day. Bye for now.